Hello and welcome to NISA Talks, our general election podcast. And today we're going to be talking about minimum wages in the UK. I'm Jagjit Chadha, the director of the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. And I'm very pleased uh, today to have in the studio with me Andrew Aiken, our senior economist, one of our senior economists, and Johnny Runger, uh, a senior social researcher. And we're going to discuss, as I said a moment ago, minimum wages. That's been a big question in the UK, particularly since the legislation was introduced some 20 years ago. May I ask you first, Andrew, why was the minimum wage introduced in the UK? And perhaps you can help us understand what impact it had on the economy. So it was introduced uh, in 1999 by the, uh, the new Labour government that was elected in 1997. And it was largely uh, to do with concerns over fairness and the fact that there are a lot of people at, at, uh, that are uh, paid not very much. Um, and so the big concern that economists have is that if you increase, if you, if you impose a minimum wage, then that might lead to uh, higher unemployment because firms might not be able to uh, justify paying such a high wage. Uh, and the evidence over the last 20 years really is that there's, th there's been very little effect on employment uh, for some some particular demographics, there is some evidence of, of, a, of a negative effect, for example, for part-time women, but um, overall, overall there isn't much evidence of a negative effect on employment or on hours. That's, that's really interesting. Can you help us understand why there hasn't been? I suppose in our mind is that wages might be set at some market-clearing level, and if you raise them, then more people would want to work at that wage rate than firms are willing to pay at that wage rate. So why is it the case that by raising the minimum wages, actually we found that more people have been employed at those higher wages? So, I mean, this is a, this is a, a hot research area. Mm. I mean, we don't really fully understand, perhaps, why there haven't been such any, any negative effects on employment. Um, so one theory is related to uh, search frictions, frictions mm. in the labour market. So... Uh, there's going to be uh, jobs at the low end of the pay distribution that are bad and there are some jobs at the low end of the distribution that are good and so people are going to search between those jobs uh, and, and that means uh, employers do have some power in mm. terms of their ability to set wages. Mm. So, so the, 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 there's a monopsony argument. So, Very helpful. So what you're saying is that in certain particularly low paid uh, labour markets firms have considerable market power so they can drive wages below that market clearing level that we talked about some moments ago. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, workers have to accept that lower wage and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, if, if, employ right? yeah, if yes. employees don't have many op options mm. as to where to go to find a job, mm. Mm. I mean, the, 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 the reasons for uh, firms having, having this kind of market p uh, power can vary and it could be geographical. I mean, the extreme case is you have a, a one-firm town, mm. uh, but there, there are other reasons. Uh, mm. I mean, there, there are lots of, you know, it might just be geographic distance, people mm. can't travel so far, and so this, this introduces all sorts of uh -huh. you know, frictions in the labour market. See, so so the, the, the minimum wage itself is, is helping those people who otherwise can't help themselves exactly. get those exactly. higher wages. Yeah. That's incredibly interesting. Johnny, is there anything that you want to add from your perspective as to why it, it's kind of worked rather than anything else? Yeah, I mean, the, it, it's not just an economic success. It's, it's really been a, a great uh, policy success story. And, and part of that is that there has been consensus around the, the minimum wage. And there was actually, when it was introduced, there wasn't that same consensus 
It was opposed at the very initial stages by the Conservative Party, um, some employers, but also actually it, in the lead up to the minimum wage, there was quite a lot of debate in the in, within the labor movement within labor because obviously it's quite a big departure from collective bargaining and mm. um, having minimum wages for low skilled workers. But as as we have gone on, there has been a large consensus and a strong partnership between all actors in the economy from employers, workers to academics and, and political parties who have kind of worked together and, and the, the operatings every year in the, in the minimum wage has been, has been agreed um, and has been uh, among all these partners. And, Andrew. And so it's yeah. been, it's been as, as Johnny said, mm. there's, there's an agreement and it's sort of been done in a cooperative way between, mm. uh, with uh, employers and employees, mm-hmm. uh, representatives, and uh, the Labour government in, in, introduced a low pay commission which wow. was to uh, actually recommend the rates of the minimum wage each year. So to, the low pay commission government. is kind of how all these partners are brought together. Come together. Yeah. So, and it's, in, it's independent. It no, independent. So that's really interesting. So when people talk about institution building being an important part of a market economy, yeah. the low pay commission, it seems to me, listening to you now, is a critical part of that institutional building. It, it, it's, it's not just something nebulous. You've actually got this institution that's independent bringing together experts, policymakers, employers and employees in a forum to try and decide what the appropriate minimum wage is. Is that right, uh, yeah. Johnny? Uh, I mean, exactly. The, obviously, based on, on this social partnership, mm. the LPC then recommends minimum wage increases to the government. Mm. And at the end of the day, the level of the minimum wage is the decision of the operating is a political one, mm. just as the, the introduction of the minimum wages in, in 20 mm. years ago was a political one. Mm. But it does become much stronger when that political decision is ingrained in, in, in a consensus and, and strong partnership between all actors. And so the rates that the minimum that the Low Pay Commission has recommended each year, uh, they've never been rejected by the government. The government has always accepted those rates. Uh, but the big change mm. uh, happened in 2015 mm. when George Osborne uh, suggested... As uh, Chancellor. As Chancellor. Yes proposed the introduction of a, of a much of a higher uh, minimum wage, which he called the national living wage, uh-huh. which was only to apply for those to those above uh, 25 years. And so that was a much more political decision. Yeah. So that came it, in over the heads of uh, the Low Pay Commission. And just so I understand, I'll come to you, did, did, did the Chancellor at the time bring it in because the Low Pay Commission recommended it, or was it independently suggested by the Chancellor? No, so I mean the, the national living wage was brought in by, by George Osborne to set more ambitious targets for the low pay commission um, on the future operatings of the minimum wage. So it was in that sense a, a departure making it more political even in the name of the minimum wage suddenly became the national living wage. Mm, mm, um, I see. And, but, but also in terms of the low pay commission then had targets that were set uh, by, by the UK government that they needed to reach. So we started off with a minimum wage that we weren't quite sure what was going to happen, but it seems to be a success. And then 16 years later, in 2015, we get a more ambitious set of minimum wages, which brings us to the next question. As we face this election, are the new targets that are being either recommended or being talked about by the parties? And I know, Johnny, you've been thinking about this, so perhaps you can help us understand where you are on interpreting the proposals out there at the moment. Yeah, so I mean, the the proposals at the moment are... Um, that the Conservatives wants to reach what in economic speak is, is two-thirds of the me- median wage, so mm. basically the middle wage of the UK uh, pay distribution. 
so two thirds of that, which uh, works out uh, according to some estimates at, at ten pound fifty by two thousand twenty-four. So, so just so I understand, if the median wage, if you took all the wages in the country and you stacked them up from the absolute lowest to the absolute highest, yes. the central wage would be the median yeah. wage. And let's suppose hypothetically that was ten pounds. Two thirds of that would be six pounds sixty-six. Yeah, is, right. is that what we're so, so, talking about? Here? So, so what the estimates yeah. is that is that it's it that's fourteen pounds, mm. and then the the two thirds of it would right. be uh, ten uh, ten pounds fifty. Yeah. Okay. Um, the current minimum wage, of course, is uh, eight pounds twenty-one. Mm. Um, Labour, on the other hand, are suggesting uh, what they call the real living wage. Uh, at ten pounds an hour, uh, which would be introduced, uh, they're a bit un, un, unclear about the timeline, but we suspect n next year. I think they say rapidly in their in their um, manifesto. Uh, but basically, both these these increases would be historically high, mm. um, and would kind of take UK into uncharted waters, and would place the UK minimum wage among some of the highest in across like similar countries. Obviously, it relates to what we've already talked about. There's both some economic risk and some political risk in this. So the, the economic risks are related to the, the issue that we've talked about is that you want to set it so high that it's a fair and decent wage um, that, that rewards uh, that reward an hour's uh, work. But you want to watch out for these employment impacts if it gets too high. All the evidence from 2016, uh, the, the upgrading since 2016, which have been more ambitious, and Andrew has done some research on this, mm. um, is that there hasn't been any employment uh, impact so far. Co correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably some nuances. Well, well I wonder if you use the, the, the really important phrase, uncharted waters, mm -hmm. in the sense in which, and this is uncharted not because it's in minimum wage, but because it's being, uh, the projection is for it to increase rapidly and to a much higher level fraction of the median wage. Yeah. And Andrew, what's your perspective on that, of the risks that might be faced by moving so quickly? And perhaps particularly at a time of what we might typically call full employment, which is probably not where we were some 20 years ago. So as Johnny said, uh, both parties are proposing quite rapid increases to the minimum wage rate so that it would get at a, end up by 2024, probably around two-thirds to 70% of the median wage. But of course, these, these estimates that we've done are based, are based on projections of uh, the growth in average wages. So we don't know exactly where that end up by 2024. Um, our estimates suggest that uh, the, the minimum wage uh, from, from a conservative policy would be about £10.60 in real terms and about £10.11 under Labour. So it's about a 50p difference, which you know is, is, is reasonably substantial in the context that the average increase, nominal, the average nominal increase in the minimum wage over the last 20 years has been about 20p. Mm. So there is there is some risk that this is certainly going into uncharted waters for the UK. Mm. Uh, I mean, there is there are other mm. countries or at least states in the US where actually uh, minimum wages as a as a proportion of median wages are actually already up to seventy or even eighty percent of the median. So it's not mm. uh, completely uncharted. The, the background to this, of course, was that there was an independent uh, review for the government done by an internationally renowned expert mm. on on minimum wages who said that there is some scope for increasing uh, the minimum wage. Basically, we haven't hit that level yet where um, minimum wages start to significantly hurt uh, employment. We know, we know there's a point out there yes. somewhere, but, but mm. the problem is nobody knows. Yeah, right. So, so even, and I agree, so there is a point, we don't know where it is, mm -hmm. but is it possible that in different industries or in different parts of the country, 
we might be nearer that point than elsewhere. So the risks we might be taking in certain markets and in certain industries is greater. And perhaps you could just spell out what the risk is of hitting that point. What would then happen? So yes, definitely. We know that the coverage, the proportion mm. of people who are covered, who are paid at the minimum wage varies a lot. It varies by sex. Mm. Uh, so women are more likely to be pay, paid the minimum wage than men. It varies by full-time work, part-time work status. It varies by geography. It varies by occupation. It varies by industry. So, you know, there, there are obviously obvious uh, occupations or industries that have a lot of low-paid workers in hospitality and cleaning, things like this, where, where there's, it's much more likely the risks are higher that uh, there could be ne- some negative employment effects in okay. the future. Okay, well, so, so if we... If we're almost reaching the limits of where we might take minimum wages, because we don't want there to be negative employment effects, very briefly, first well, Johnny that's, that's and Andrew, well, no, I said it, I said it, and I wasn't you know, implying it was the case, I was simply saying if, hypothetically, we do a lot of that in economics, if we were to reach that point, and yet there were still social bands out there, people we're not having the lives that we'd want. Can I ask you very briefly, Andrew, and then Johnny, just to wrap up and say what other policies might be brought in to help support something else than a minimum wage to help these families? So there, there is a trade-off. And I mean, yeah. maybe as a society we decide that, you know, if, if the wage gains are actually much more, uh, much larger and outweigh employment losses, then maybe that's a decision we want to take. Mm. But with, and maybe there is a need for other policies to help the people who have suffered from the minimum wage. And then, there, but of course, wages generally are determined by the levels of productivity mm. in the economy, and we can't just uh, uh, you know, impose... Can't impose wages that wages. are that different from productivity. Yeah. So, Johnny, are there any other policies that might be introduced? And that's very helpful, Andrew. But Johnny, are there any other policies that might be introduced just to help families if yeah. we can't increase the minimum wages as much as we might want? Yeah, just well, one point to make yes. as well before that is mm. that, of course, minimum wages are sometimes paid... Uh, are not always paid to low-income households. Mm. There's a lot of uh, low-paid workers that are actually in, in, in quite high-income households. Mm. It could be if they're students living with, with their parents or if they, they have a ha- higher-income partner. Um, so minimum wages don't always hit the, the low-income households. The kind of policies that will improve stand- uh, living standards and raise living standards of low-paid workers as well is obviously tax benefit policies, yeah. uh, policies on education and training, yeah. and also policies on, on, on other kind of like costly uh, things in your everyday life, such as childcare. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the kind of policies that the government also needs to look at and not just use the minimum wage as like kind of a catch-all magic bullet yeah. um, to, to solve all our problems. So what I've learned today is that as well as having institutions that work, we have to maybe think about the strategic complementarities and other policies that can also help particular families. And there may be some regional and particularly industrial-specific consequences in minimum wages that have to be thought about. Well, I think that's been a fascinating introduction to the question of minimum wages. I want to thank Johnny Runjan, Senior Social Researcher at the National Institute, and Andrew Aiken, Senior Economist here at the National Institute. We've been doing a podcast on NISA Talks, the general election, This has been on Minimum Wages and I'm Jagjit Chala at the National Institute. Thank you very much.